Welcome to Blacklisted Remarks. I'm Nick Stumphauser. I'm Mr. Spencer Field. And we are continuing where we left off a week or two ago uh, with the discussion of determinism and free will and whether us humans are actually free, we humans are actually free. Spencer and I spent the first podcast in a deep discussion, but we tried to lay out the syllogism for why he and I are hard determinists, I more so than Spencer. And this week, we are discussing the ethical and societal ramifications of being a hard determinist. For example, should people still go to jail if they really didn't have a choice whether or not to commit the crime? Should uh, things like that. We ended last week talking about the origin of a thought and um, the fMRI scans that show the latency between decision and brain activity and the uh, supposed feeling that we caused those decisions. And Spencer, you brought up something that uh, left us on a very interesting note. Would you like to reiterate that for us? You know, I would consider doing that, but I think that's going to open up a can of worms, which hopefully we at least put a saran wrap lid on last time. Uh, That's fair. And so I would encourage us to instead move towards maybe our top three, let's each give our top three ramifications for hard determinism in society. I think once we put those on the table... Uh, we'll get an audience poll to tell us where we should be continuing our conversation, and then we can uh, continue with us. Now, when you say societal ramifications, do you mean me personally, or just if everybody believed this, what would happen? Let's go with both. Okay, I'll give As you... As our favorite podcast listener says, both and. <laughs> I will give you uh, one or two of each. So... For me personally, as a hard determinist, it really doesn't affect my day-to-day life because the sensation of being free is still there. Um, I think if I felt like I wasn't free, my life would be definitely very different. But because I still feel like I'm making these decisions, I still act as though I were making these decisions. Um, As a society, there have been studies that have shown that once people uh, sort of internalize the idea that hard determinism is true. They act less morally. You know, they don't return the wallet. They don't uh, answer truthfully on the test or, you know, whatever it is. Um, There have been a small handful of studies, but basically, um, if you think that you are no longer responsible for your actions, your moral decision-making processes break down and people start to act less humanely and less ethically. So I would predict that if if this idea were widespread, that that would be amplified um, among the, among the populace. And then finally, let's see, what do I want to say? Um, I think, I think those are the two that I would give. I don't want to just make up a third one that's weak just for the sake sake of of having three. Uh, I would say that my first one is, I think hard determinism gives you a lot to think about when it comes to the idea of punishment and the intention and role of punishment in our society. Absolutely. All the way from how does a parent punish their child to what do we deal with, how do we deal with war crimes? Yeah. And everywhere in between, I think hard determinism affects what we should be doing in that world. Yeah. I think that hard determinism also affects how the way that we perceive the world. I think that you brought that up 
and said it quite elegantly that even though we may believe a concept, it doesn't seem to affect our everyday lives because, well, theoretically we hold this concept, functionally we don't. Right. And I think that it also has to be, it should be part of at least a discussion at some point about how those two things conflict um, and and how we know some or think something to be true and still act as though the opposite is true. You could see that is unreasonable, um, but you could also see that as the most reasonable one to do. Yeah, especially if the ramifications of living what you believe, which is uh, just hurts me to say, but uh, if the results of that are not fruitful um, and not beneficial, then perhaps it is prudent to live otherwise. Let's start there. Yeah, Let's... I think that is a really good place to start. So I've been having several conversations over the last several weeks with many different people about the value, and my questions usually pose such. Would you rather live a life based on total truth, which brought you a low-quality life for whatever reason, or would you rather live a life based on some falsehoods or even knowing the truth but choosing to believe something different, even mm-hmm. from a functional standpoint, and live a higher quality life? And it's really yeah. interesting to hear different types of people answer right. that question right. the same way. I think one of the most astute answers I heard was, I think most people are living a life of delusion and Sometimes those delusions are harmful, Mm -hmm. but also sometimes those delusions are very beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe let's let's dive into that. So when we look at the idea of hard determinism, both of us don't exemplify that in our lives. Not at all, yeah. And why is it that we avoid doing that? What is the reason behind that? Uh, I think first and foremost is just it would take conscious effort to to acknowledge it and to enact it in everyday life. So if – which I have been more and more – not necessarily enacting, but but just acknowledging its uh, its truthfulness in my life. So, um, let's say to to hearken back to last week's example of, of which flavored pudding, and and we went with, <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. And we went with the peach pudding. By uh, the way, audience, if you're raving about peach pudding, I looked. I went to Myers, which is our local food supply store, and I could not find it, <laughs> high nor low. <laughs> Thank you for including the. Uh, the local part, yes. because just in case some of our listeners are from the east and west coast, and well, I was thinking of all of our, our listeners from yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I've had a couple people, people from, from Amsterdam talk to me, right? Exactly. Some people from Seoul. Maybe and... Matt Langdon is tuning in from Australia. I apologize, Matt. Yeah, I'm sorry, Matt. But uh, yeah, so our, let's let's say for example, my decision: which type of pudding, chocolate, vanilla, or or light California peach pudding, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, it would take more conscious effort for me to think, you know, well, I'm really not picking right now. You know, hours ago, my brain had already decided the leptin amounts in my in my brain. And, and you know, this arrangement of events that I had no control over is going to, uh, you know, break down into reality. And I really have no ch- I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to be like, mm, this one smells really good. I'm going to go for this one. You know, it's it's uh, it happens so quickly that really it takes more time and effort to consciously acknowledge the fact that if you trace your thoughts back, they're not your own. Uh, that would be the first one. The second one is in matters more serious than peach pudding. If there is such a thing as a no. more serious matter than peach pudding, no, 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 is that uh, the demand for agency in society is so high uh, that unless you're 
planning a coup de grace on society and reforming it instantly, you can't operate under these this, oh, well, I didn't really choose this. You know, I didn't choose to run the red light. It was just the prior states in my brain. The officer is not going to, to say, oh, it's okay. You don't get a ticket this time. You know, um, not only is there this expectation, but the entirety of society is built on this on this scaffolding, on this structure of agency, of perceived agency. So it's not something you can easily just shrug off and uh, and leave by the wayside. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I was listening this week to a podcast, uh, and the podcast was talking specifically about neurological diseases. And one comment they had, one section of it, it was called the All in the Mind podcast. And one section they had was the ramification of neurological diseases on the court system and huh. how courts are seeing yeah, yeah, yeah. these ramifications and how many – so we used to have like he's in the insane plea right. and now we have the insane plea with an attached fMRI saying, yep. ah, see this this abnormal blood flow activity and this you know prefrontal – left side of the top of the prefrontal cortex – this means that he had impaired judgment caused by right. a genetic disorder and blah, blah, blah. And while very few people have been acquitted based on that, there has been a decent amount of evidence showing yeah. that it is affecting their sentencing. Right. Um, but before we move into the punishment side of that, because we're kind of scampering on the edge of these two, I think when we look at the functional aspect of this, I would propose that a life lived out of pure determinism fully and completely accepting all of the ramifications of that would be a nigh on impossible life to live yeah yeah i would agree um just putting a, a marker in for when we get there i think the courtroom is and the court cases are a perfect way to discuss uh the concept of of determinism in society so i have a few thoughts on that we'll, well let's turn there in. now if you, to, okay. if you think that that's a outflowing of this thought, let's go. I, I do, and I think we'll probably incorporate what we're talking about right now with it. So uh, a perfect example uh, of a courtroom thing is the, the man who is completely fine. Um, I don't remember his name, but he's he's an he's a man, and he's he was man. completely fine. He was completely fine. There's only a few of those out there. He has a wife and kids, and he, uh, unbeknownst to him, has a tumor growing, um, pressing on his amygdala. And he uh, begins to write letters saying, I don't know what's happening, but I'm not feeling myself. Um, help, you know, somebody help me. This is, this is, I'm feeling aggressive. I'm feeling suicidal. I'm feeling murderous. And he's writing these letters saying like, you know, when I die, you know, figure this out. Like something's wrong with me. And one day he snaps, he kills his wife and he kills his kids. And they, um, you know, sentence him to, and I think he, I believe he kills himself afterward. And they perform an autopsy. Hopefully not destroying his amygdala in the process. Right. I don't think he did. They do an autopsy and they find this tumor and they realize that this tumor was pressing on his, on his amygdala. No, no, no. He didn't die. That's, that's, that was the big thing. He didn't die. They removed the tumor and he was completely fine again. And that was, that was the, uh, the, the, uh, the whole court case there. And so as a court, if, if we were the judge, we would say, well, he didn't pick his tumor. He didn't pick his genetics that gave him the tumor. So... And the tumor was the cause of these murderous actions. So he truly wasn't, you know, the agent of the crimes. But then the question becomes, so what was, quote unquote, he doing while this tumor was controlling his, yeah, his did, brain? Is there something that he could have done beforehand right. to say? Well, not even that, but they try and, um, not they, the, the, 
natural thought process is to separate the brain and the person. Yes. And they say, ah, the brain was affected, therefore the person couldn't operate correctly. And I think that is an inherent flaw in the reasoning, is they say that this there, there is agency and then there is genetics. And genetics govern agency, but uh, if genetics weren't an issue, then agency should be able to roam freely, you know? Uh, if you could, you would. And I think that is completely false. I think genetics and agency are the same thing and that we are agents because of our genetics and we are only as free as our genetics allow. I would say that there is a link between the two. I don't know that I'd make that link as strong as you're implying though, because I think that takes into the account nature, but I think that forgets the idea of nurture. And I think a lot okay, of what goes sure. in, even into that particular scenario, yeah. a lot of it is nurture. Um, when we're talking about how this individual is affected, even if we're talking in something as base as you know, uh, pressure on his amygdala or deforming his amygdala yeah. in one way or another. I think the breaking these two ideas apart, I think, is a very difficult process to do. And I think it becomes even more difficult when you don't have a physical cause for something, right. meaning like I can point at something on a on a chart and say, ah, here's our problem, and rather say, this person from a neurological perspective is completely fine. They have the right uh, balances of neuropeptides. They have a good balance of all of their neurochemistry. Their neuroanatomy is acceptable. There's no abnormalities uh, in their brain as compared to any other human brain. Yet they did this heinous action against a person or a society. What do we do with that, given that there's no, quote, abnormalities? Because if you believe hard determinism, then they had no other action but to commit this an atrocious crime right or even something less atrocious like if i'm in a convenience store and somebody walks in and steals a candy bar if hard determinism dictates that they had no choice there mm -hmm. and when we punish it's all based on the idea of encouraging good choices and yeah. deterring bad choices so i maybe a question i would propose is if that is the purpose the intention of our legal system mm -hmm. to encourage tr good choices and to discourage bad choices some would say it's to reform but i think that we do a pretty deplorable job at that absolutely then do we still have a functional system or should the system yeah. be reworked in light of yeah i think um that's a very very important place to go i think you set it up perfectly and i believe that i have a louisville slugger in my hand to oh. hopefully get a home run on this All right. let me know if i uh, if I just foul ball it. You got um, it. That scenario is the, I would argue, the epitome of why most people who are unenthused with the idea of hard determinism, to say the least, and at most to say those people of religious disposition where the idea of hard determinism is, is terrifying and deplorable and disgusting because God gave us free will. Uh, that is where they say, well, if, if nobody chooses anything, then why would we punish the murderer? Why would we tell the person who stole the candy bar from the shop, how dare you, slap their wrists and send them to jail? All right, editor's note. This is where Nick and I almost get, and then we vehemently disagree. So strap down, double down on that popcorn. Oh, oh he already knows where I'm going. I know where okay. he's going with this. Uh, because the systems are in place... So because person steals candy bar, yeah. person goes to jail, yeah. person who watches this event transpire, right. now there, if you There's really a causal want, connection. There is a causal connection yeah. that they are now deterred by no desire of their own 
to then not do that. However, if they aren't deterred, that is also not their their uh, you know their own choice, and uh, as a result, you know they might go and steal the next candy bar, and then they will be the ones that are in jail. So the system is in place, and the system must mean be continue to be in place and be reinforced. But um, okay, it, so the ball's in the air. I'm gonna break out my mitt and I'm gonna go running hardcore to see if I can catch it. And did I do? Did I make sense? I think sense, you did though? justice. Yeah. Just that oh, okay. the system has to be in place because otherwise there is this moral degradation. But with the system in place, there is just cause and effect deterrence of further crime. Exactly. It's this effect which brings on the deterrent. And here's, yes. I think that is only partially true. Let me explain why. Okay. I think that if you believe in hard determinism in a limited scope or limited perspective, then th that answer is true. But if you back hard determinism out to a universal perspective and back to we had, you know, this atom smash into that atom when, you know, the Big Bang happened and that's, you know, how Spencer's hair is sitting right how it is right now. All right. And in that universal circumstance then, then we – then the person stealing the candy bar – was predetermined millennia ago to steal that candy bar. Absolutely. And in that case, there is no causal connection. Um, no, no. well, there is a direct causal connection between the punishment and the deterring or not, but that punishment, it was put in place because of something earlier. Right, but that doesn't mean the system is invalid. So... So it could have been an accident that this system, by by the definition of accident, as in there was no agent behind its creation, or I should say no free agent behind its creation. There were many agents behind the creation of the legal system, but if we're using hard determinism, none of them uh, were the authors of their own thoughts. But mm -hmm. if the system came to be by accident, and this person came to steal the candy bar, quote-unquote, by accident... That doesn't make the system invalid if it works. Okay, so I think here might be the middle ground. Well, I agree with you that the legal system has an effect on activities, and you might call it an accidental effect on activities. It has as much effect on activities as any other element of our society does. It has no more or no less weight to determining what that individual's action is than how sunny it is outside or where a leaf falls. Because every one of those actions has a direct or indirect by several several leaps effect on that given criminal situation. And while we may be able to draw this clear linear perspective between the judicial system and the punishment or uh, discouragement of a particular crime, we can also draw so many other corollaries from sources other than the judicial system to whether or not that crime act also took place. I would disagree. I thought so. Because uh, here's a here's a personal example, and of course, personal examples are the only way to finish an argument. Because, of course. Uh, completely trustworthy. Or you can say, I feel, and then I'm done. Yeah, I feel. This is how I feel. Yep. However, I would say that the main reason why I drive below 80 miles an hour on the highway every single day on my way to school, I have an hour drive to school, and I keep it below 80, oftentimes below 75, um, is because I have received a speeding ticket for $220 from a state trooper for exceeding the speed limit by an obscene amount of miles per hour. And that sticks with me to this day because I know I don't have the money to, to shell out again if I were to get such a ticket. 
uh, I don't have the time. I would have my license revoked because of the amount of points that I have. This entire legal infrastructure that surrounds me while I'm driving is, I would argue, the sole motivation, or at least the primary motivation, for why I obey the laws, why I drive a certain way. So my decision, quote-unquote, has been determined by a legal system that is currently in place. Now, immediate the immediate reality of that has no, you know, it doesn't matter uh, how much of an accident or how much evolution happened to that legal system. The fact remains is that my decision-making process today is not based on prior causes that I have decided. Now, if you were to say, oh, but you decided to get the first ticket. No, I didn't. If we're using hard determinism, if we're talking about neurophysiology, if we're talking about the concept of psychological invulnerability in teenagers, which is this concept that they feel like they rules don't apply to them for the audience members who don't know. Um, so that's that would be my personal example. So I would say that your personal example has validity. I'd also say, especially in a conversation like this, when you are agent within the circumstances, it is not fair for the agent who's being acted upon to say, I have a clear perspective on the actions which are taking. Granted. Because I think that our conscious, it because it cannot function on determinism, looks to justify the free will perspective. So you have made this decision, <clears throat> that's a, a tricky statement in and of itself, right. to not speed. And your brain has justified your decision not to speed by saying, well, this negative events happened in the past, and if I project those negative events in the future, they're even worse than what they are in the past. Thus, I'm not going to take this activity. So your brain has made this justification for the actions which it's going to take. Rather, when you're looking at that circumstance, when you sped and when you don't speed now, you have no other option but to speed or not speed. And while your brain may rationalize and justify your activity based on previous events, and maybe those events actually do influence your activities, those events, just like if you had gotten into a crash or somebody was afraid for you and that affected how you drove, um, or maybe you you know drove so fast you missed your exit at one time, which was very important, any of those other activities or any of those other circumstances have an equal influence on your activities as the judicial system does. However, in scenarios like this, there is a much clearer causal connection between the two of them. I don't think there's an equal weight on my decision making, but I would argue that they each have weight uh, and they would shape my decision. And I don't know which is the straw that breaks the camel's back and breaks me down into that decision at that time. But I, I would agree that other things besides the legal system have that effect on me. Okay, so to establish common ground, we'd say that in this speeding example, we are we say that there are many causal factors and each one of them have some proportional weight on your actions. One is not the probably the above all action, but there may be a dominant and then more submissive or uh, regressive thoughts as well. I would agree. I would agree. So I believe that brings us then to you, because uh, I think I've been answering a few questions that you've asked. So I think it's your turn to answer a few of those questions. All right, I'm listening. Uh, I believe I was answering, you know, sort of what happened. Or... No, no, you listed you listed a couple things, didn't you? Or was it only I who listed and then you agreed? No, I think we both listed a list of two. Yeah. And ours were both very similar. Right, right, right. right. So where does that put you in all this? In this entire conversation of determinism and how it affects the rest of the world, 
just um, I, I'm more concerned with the, the part where, you know, it affects the rest of the world. If the whole world believed in, in what I would so uh, arrogantly say the truth of determinism, <laughs> I would go, go so far as to say that, um, what do you think would happen? And do you think anything should be put in place? Like, do you think we should continue to promote this illusion of libertarian free will to the world? Or uh, just rip the curtain off of the wizard and show the world. <laughs> I suddenly have this vision. Have you ever seen the Minions movie? I haven't seen the new okay. one. Okay, no. I have. I watched the new one. It was much. I have only watched it once. And it was great when I had a hundred and three degree fever. Like it suddenly made a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my mother walked in as I was watching it, laying on the couch, feeling miserable for myself. She goes, "You must be sick." And there, there's there's this moment in in this video where they are trying to find their new evil master and they find uh, a vampire and their vampire only wakes up one once every 100 years so the minions help him go to bed and then as he wakes up they like pull back his casket they have birthday candles and they're like all surprised and they stack a bunch of minions on top of each other and they like blow their whistles and the guy pops up and they rip open the curtains and of course sunshine and vampires don't go well together so he just fades into dust so uh. in my my mind is going, do we want to rip open the curtains and fade to dust everything our right. society has right. built based on the idea of libertarian free will and say, all right, now we have dust. Let's figure out what we're going to do now. Yeah. Or do we want to say, well, this is a functional system. You know, the vampire is doing not half bad in his coffin. So let's just keep the blinds closed and exactly. continue to live. And the minions keep having a master and nobody has to clean up all this vampire dust. I just want to point day. out to the audience that this is a remarkable moment in human history where Spencer has seen a film <laughs> that I have not seen. <laughs> so uh please please continue shall we shall we I, turn kind of, to dust i regretted just actually establishing that the first time that happened it was the minions movie but <laughs> <laughs> i have regret for that yeah um, so when i look at society i think that there are some people who are capable of under of holding those two ideas with intention and right. going while I believe this, I'm going to act in this particular way. And that does cause this tension within a life. It's almost like a well-tuned piano. It's full of tension. That's why they're built out of iron because they have to be so strong to maintain that tuning. Well, there are others, and I know some, who are right. incapable of holding two different ideas and tension in their head. Right. Everything must line up. There may be no tension between ideas. And if there are tension, that means something's wrong in yeah. ideas. So I would propose that the idea is allowed to spread and continue. Mm -hmm. And those people who have the ability, excuse me, to find and hold those two ideas in tension will do so. Yeah, but absolutely. But as far as what are some like legislative activities which yeah. I think should be taken, yeah. I think that it – well – it would be an interesting idea to propose, and if you just hold hard determinism to be true, to completely revamp our legal system. Yeah, I think that from a functional standpoint, that doesn't work, and it moves backwards. Well, do you think there's any flaw in the legal system currently? Yes, I do think that there is well, at least okay. a flaw in the no, legal system currently. Okay. <laughs> Let's start with the meatloaf. No. That stuff's disgusting. Let us let us let us go back a few paces there. Do you believe that? Uh, the concept of free will, of libertarian free will, is poisoning any aspect of the legal system, wherein people enter the courtroom and leave with an unjust sentence because of this illusion that is pervading society at present. 
I think to answer that question, I, I'm trying to not make this a cop-out, but I don't know there's any other way, but to cop-out saying what is justice in a, okay. in a society which, or in a universe which is based on hard determinism, is there such a thing as justice? Oh, wow. I guess that is kind of a self-refuting thing. If they walk in and then they leave with a, with an unjust thing, you know, well, how, how could, okay. Um, but yeah, that's a conundrum. I, I would first start by defining justice as uh, getting what people deserve, but you know you are you are given what you are owed. However, sure, I just back the question up. Yeah, exactly. What is deserved. Exactly. What is deserved? Um, and deserved is based on, on agency. A, on, it's on yeah. What have you done will. to merit right this acti- thing. action so, or activity? Uh, Which goes back to the idea of mercy or grace, and mercy or grace really can't exist in a deterministic system. Correct. I mean, okay. we're essentially seeing a piece of concrete painting it like a diamond and saying ah look here's mercy where it had no other option but to be perceived as mercy correct Um, which is why i think that living out what hard determinism teaches is is unacceptable for any individual yeah and the people who i have seen live live out parts of it i do not want to emulate their life in any way i think they are some of the most miserable people that i've seen um i have often I've been in several circles over the last, I don't know, six months or so, which have all been talking about the idea of the critical importance of hope within life yeah. and the idea of determinism removing all and any forms of hope at all and, yeah. and what the ramifications are on a human life based on that. I want to say that they're – first, let me, let me just color in the edges of this picture here. Um, when Spencer and I talk about the concept of – Knowing hard determinism to be true, but living as though it were not, um, it's similar to the idea of a simulacrum, where the child is afraid of the monster under the bed. The child is having a true and real response. Yeah. However, the cause of that stimulus is non-existent. Right. It is not there. There is no monster under that bed. There is no libertarian free will, yet we live every day as though there is. Right. We have this response to a stimulus that is not there. It's very possible. It's called a simulacrum. Uh, what Spencer and I are doing in our day-to-day lives is we are acknowledging, yes, there is no monster under the bed, but we're still going to be afraid. There is no libertarian free will, but we are going to continue to operate day by day, choosing the peach pudding or the chocolate pudding, whatever it is, because uh, it it brings us comfort. It is useful. It is uh, applicable to our daily lives. It allows for us to operate smoothly. It just smoothly. brings structure to what structure, is without, absolutely. With, yeah. it's just a void of nothingness. Uh, but I think in the, the, the method of, of, you know, mindfulness meditation, or just even just being in tune with your own thoughts, um, the simple acknowledgement of, you know, I, I really have no idea where that thought came from. And when I think back, I have no idea why I picked that or why I chose that or why I answered the phone with, Hey, instead of hello. I am absolutely clueless. If you just sit back and you acknowledge that, the world doesn't come crashing down. You can still continue to operate. I think there needs to be a peaceful and sort of tacit awareness of this lack of agency that we have. But that was a, a bit of a digression. You were talking about... No, I think that was an important digression, though. Okay. Because I think that... Oh, the... hope. That's what we were going for. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the idea behind that is highly applicable yeah i don't know that an individual can function without living under that idea i i would say that in a meditative state which i i often participate in 
I when I get to the place of of wondering where that thought came from, as someone where it's trying to see your own head, yeah, or where trace a thought back to its origin. I think when I participate in those types of activities, that's not there is some correlation between those and hard determinism, but at the end of the day, that is still built with in the structure of an individual thought. And yeah. rarely do I move to a state where I'm like, oh, all of everything has no underlying cause. Right. And I can function. And and I think that there's even a slight bit of discomfort with one thought going. I don't know where that thought came from. But take that discomfort and multiply it by magnitudes of order. Right. And that's what you get if you live in a, a deterministic where you Where every breath, every you know twitch of your brain is right. just accident it's yeah. not it's i am a marionette puppet yeah. for what has been determined and there's yeah. no reason for the marionette puppet to try to resist what is because it will all happen and yeah. even my experiences within that being that marionette puppet if i find joy in it or if i find sadness in it were predetermined um to happen yeah to use the words of sam harris as i often have and will a puppet is free if it loves its strings i think a puppet is yeah perceived to be free right. if it loves its strings and that's i think what society is doing is many of them don't know that there are strings and those that do they just accept them and they say i get that they're there but i enjoy the the them lifting the arms for me i like that and I, so i will continue to yeah. pretend that i am the puppet master until something bad happens until something bad happens and then ah oh, why did yeah, the yeah, universe give do this that to me, me. Yeah. I, there's nothing i could have done about that just it just moved. just bad luck and karma and, and god or whatever yeah it whatever it was it just was bound to happen yeah i think and i think furthermore there are times when i am fully conscious that this is decision which i could not choose to make but i still revel in the activity yeah of making this decision even in things as opening up my pencil bag, seeing two different pens and choosing one and going, right. which I would knowing in half of me that I had to choose the one I chose. Right. But in the other half of me just going, take that, I, yeah. you know, take that determinism. There's <laughs> proof right there of free will. Yeah. I just made that decision. That was me doing that. Yeah. So let's bring this back up as our time is limited to the two principles, which we have talked about and discovered. The first one is the idea of how does it affect the legal system? Mm -hmm. And the second one is how does it affect a functional life? So when you're looking at the legal system, what I answer the question of what I think should happen by dodging it and saying, I think that yeah. what is justice? When you look at the legal system, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Try not to pull a cop out like I did. Uh, I, I don't think yours was a cop out. It was just an irritating observation that this is a, a <laughs> that any answer is too superficial uh i would say that the legal system that exists now is decent it needs to be that there needs to be room for determinism in that if somebody comes in with a mental disorder that says um, you have the tumor on the amygdala the judge ought not say you should go to jail if there's if there's available treatment for it, uh, you know, if it's if it's as clear cut as removing the tumor, uh, there needs to be room for that, for the acknowledgement that um, this perceived agency is is really comes down a lot more to often a lot of neurophysiological issues and problems. Now that's not to say that everybody who claims insane should just be thrown back on the streets or in an asylum. Just that there needs to be a lot more accommodation for it. I don't see a 
restructuring or a coup de grace of the legal system or of society as a whole on planet Earth. So this sort of moves into the society question. The potential question. for one or the value of one? Both. Okay. I don't see that the, it, it would ever happen in our lifetime or yeah. the lifetime of our great times 10 grandchildren. Yeah. And this is one of those places where it brings me great comfort to say leave things as they are because the comfort of libertarian free will is, is so present. Um, but it also great, brings me great discomfort because I like to think of myself as a champion and a desire of truth and I want to spread that truth. But I get that you can't do that. You can't splash the cold water on the face of 7.8 billion people. You will piss them off in the world I do think will go to shambles. So I think things should remain the same just in the legal system. It needs to be given um, – the concept of hard determinism needs to be injected more and given a lot more volume than it currently has. Uh, I would almost call that soft determinism though. Yeah, honestly, it's, yeah, it's, it's soft not determinism. hard determinism. No, for sure. It's soft determinism. I think if there's – do you have, do you want to respond to that as well? I would say I mean, that I think that the legal system, there's this interesting – quandary which runs around in my mind when we have this conversation of a hundred years ago we could not diagnose many of these mental conditions that we have today it's only with the advancement of science that we've we've advanced and taking into idea that the idea of justice is necessary for a functioning society we say that it is now just for an individual who has this pressure on his amygdala to once he's undergone surgery, to walk free into society. Right. I don't think that was probably what happened to that person. I'm sure there were still some ramifications, but a, his sentence was probably lessened in some sense. In that case, though, you have this direct line between the advancement of science and what is justice. Yeah. Because it could be huh. when somebody causes a, a murder somebody it was caused by some neurochemical or neurophysical abnormality which we current can't currently see now but in 10 years we develop a new technology which allows us to see that and yeah. this person has been then you know indicted for a crime which he should not have been indicted for to the level of which he was right and i think and that might just be a tension that needs to be held within the legal system yeah that but the idea that justice is dependent upon the advancement of scientific ed, scientific means right. is at least disconcerting to me. It's disconcerting, but I think it's okay. And, and I think all things, especially the legal system, ought to be subjected to that evolution, to that continued progression of human knowledge, uh, because that means we're getting better and better. That's why slavery is illegal. That's why black people can drink from the same water fountain that a white man can drink from. That and those weren't necessarily scientific, you know, evolutions. But um, even even the discussion of abortion that's been modulated over the years, over the forty or fifty years that Roe v. Wade has been in place, that has been modulated and augmented and and, and moved back and forth because of understanding of biology or 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 you know numerous other things um so i would i would agree but i I do think it's necessary to have that constant progression within the the judicial system i think understanding the idea of transience within any system is an important idea to understand i also think though that to have and we're talking about an effective functional society is kind of the the tone of this conversation that when we consider 
what would need to be put in place that the transience of what is justice yeah. is a very dangerous thing to apply. So while I agree wholeheartedly that justice must be subjected and be allowed to evolve, if you will, as any other of these social or societal systems do, I think that we run the risk just as we run the risk of splashing cold water on these people's faces or ripping open the curtains while our vampire lays sleeping, that it will have strong negative yeah. ramifications yeah. within the society in which it's purported to exist. I guess we can just, you know, hope for the best and that leads, <laughs> leads me to my uh leads me to my last little point that I want to make. A slight brag, but uh I, I do think a very important point. So Spencer and I had the absolute privilege of going to Grand Rapids, Michigan and seeing Richard Dawkins speak um, about evolution. And then really he opened it up to the audience and, and took a lot of their fantastic questions. It was a, it yeah. was a night of absolutely fantastic questions. It was a phenomenal evening. Uh, and on our way back, uh, actually, you know, a little, little bit before that, somebody in the audience um kind of butchered what Hitch was saying, but uh, they quoted something that Hitch said, which is um, known as uh, Hitchens Razor, which is like, uh, no, that's not Hitchens Razor. He, he, it, was like, it was just a question that Christopher Hitchens posed to um, people who claimed that religion is the only safeguard for morality. He said, give me an action that only a believer, only somebody who has faith in a deity can perform. And I will say, okay, fine. I have to believe in something in order to be a moral person. Um, and a, a, a you know a good action. And then he flipped it and said the and said the reverse. And the lady next to you, what did she say? Uh, so the I'll give a little bit more context. We were sitting in this this the, we were sitting in one of the front row seats, and the, all the outside seats were reserved for members of this institution. I think it was the Center for Inquiring Minds. Yep which hosted it. And her and her husband were sitting there, um, or I think her husband was sitting on the far side of us. And so she, this was a woman who was deeply engaged. And all throughout this conversation, she would be agreeing with, I feel like she was the the atheist version of a Baptist, like yeah. just like, you know, small hand claps, like, yeah, amen, that's true. Amen. Yeah, my, it was as close to amen as you could get without amening. And so I was kind of in tune with this woman, trying to like judge her reactions and through, trying to see this conversation through her eyes. And then I had this conversation with Nick afterwards, which was when this question was posed, she just whispered quietly under her breath in a manner which made me think she wasn't intending for people around her to hear uh, the one thing that somebody who is a believer can do, which somebody who is not a believer can't do, is the idea of hope. Mm -hmm. And that that comes from a non-deterministic world. Right. And that, to me, really uh, hit hard. And I've been thinking about that for a long time. And in this concept of hard determinism, uh, I guess we have to define what hope is. But I still hope. I do. I aspire. I hope. I dream. I pursue. Um but none of that comes from a, a determinist perspective. And I'm not going to say that determinism eradicates hope and that libertarian free will upholds it. But I will say that nihilism is much closer to determinism than it is to the concept of free will. And if something is true, 
that doesn't necessarily mean it's pretty or it's warm or it's comfortable or it's valuable or it's valuable uh which i think is the really big thing i'm not going to make a, a claim or a statement about whether or not determinism upholds or eradicates hope all i'll say is that uh, that's something that each person, I think, has to probably encounter. Can you still hope being a determinist? And uh, if you can't, I think that's probably a very big, pun intended, determining factor <laughs> in whether or not uh, you continue to operate as somebody who believes in libertarian free will or somebody who believes as a determinist. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that that is a very difficult question to answer. And I think that people have to weigh out for themselves. And I think this holds true in so many areas of life. Would I prefer to hold the truth of the situation or would I prefer to hold the effective truth of the situation? Yeah, correct. And I think those are often different and yet very impactful for determining what actions you're going to choose to live. Um, and I think they're a framing principle of most of the rest of your life. I would agree. You've been listening to Blacklisted Remarks. This is part two, I believe a final part. Yeah, I think so. I think that was a good wrap-up. I'm sure we'll revisit that at some point in the future. Right. Of our discussion of determinism. Uh, if you've enjoyed it or hated it, please leave a comment below um, or above or wherever this appears in your social media stream telling us what you think. Are you a hard determinist? Are you a libertarian free will? Do you not know? Um, why do you believe what you believe? And how do you think the world should uh, should respond to these ideas? Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time. I'm Nick Stumphauser. I'm Spencer Field. And this is Blacklisted Remarks. <laughs>